Good morning. Can we just thank everyone who played a part this morning? It's not, it's not supposed to be about anybody on stage, but it's just really special when we get to be led to, to praise the Lord and, and you just, it stirs in your heart that you know that we're worshiping and, and he's present with us right now and hearing our praise and seeing the authenticity of our praise in our hearts. So welcome to Easter, alive and really living. That's where we're at. This is week two of five on that theme. And the question we're asking ourselves is if Jesus says, that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, do we have that? Or have we settled for something else? Because if filet is available for dinner, and I'm filling up on oversalted chips and watery salsa, I'm not going to be happy. And and so if Jesus says he came that he may give us life and life abundantly, I I just want to keep going back to that and say, is that what I have, or have I settled for something less? Last week we saw Jesus' triumphal entry and we saw the self-righteous religious leaders and the self-motivated mob and we saw that they had made a mess of religion and Jesus had come to deconstruct that and to, to rebuild it in a worshipful way. So this morning we're just going to consider that we've kind of made a mess of love and that only Jesus' love, best seen through the death and resurrection can make things right, can give us hope, can give us purpose. So the question is, is what is love? And that would be a fun conversation to have in a different setting. Major League Baseball just started. I love the Yankees. We like to eat. I love stuffed olives. A little bit of garlic. If we consult the experts, uh, one being, of course, Diana Ross, who wrote one of the greatest love songs of all time, Endless Love, uh, one of her lyrics says this, my love, there is only you in my life, the only thing that is right. If someone looks at you with a straight face and says that, run. (laughs) So the Diana Ross School of Love would suggest that it's a person, and if you find this person, all of your problems will go away. In 1967, the Beatles sang, All You Need Is Love. The Beatles' school of love suggests that if we have love, we don't need anything or anyone else, which works great if you don't have a place to stay and don't need to eat and don't have a vehicle that you occasionally need to put gas in and things like that. What is love? Sometimes searching for love is like uh, snipe hunting. Has anyone been snipe hunting? (laughs) At about the age of eight, I had my first opportunity to go snipe hunting. It was dark. It was late. Uh, Our guide had a little bag. It was like a lunch bag. uh, And there was snipe bait in it. And so we looked and we looked and he shook that bag and it rattled and we were just waiting for the snipes to come and, and jump in the bag like we were told they would do. And, and they didn't. And so at the end of the hunt, we got to eat M&M's and that was good. But no snipe. The snipe was elusive, mythical, almost as if it was entirely made up. Sometimes 
Sometimes looking for love seems elusive, mythical, and almost entirely made up. And so many of us get disillusioned looking for love and looking for someone. And so we start to look for something, don't we? And so if something could fulfill us, if something could bring hope, then maybe lottery winners would have it down. They've got a lot of things. And so Time Magazine ran an article a year and a half ago basically saying that if you win the lottery, it's going to ruin your life by sabotaging all of your relationships and leading to a string of terrible decisions. And they listed story after story after story of person who had won the lottery and, and gone on to lose it all. And, and so statistics say roughly 70% of people who will get some sort of cash windfall will lose it quickly. A couple stories they highlighted. One, a West Virginia man who won $315 million in 2002. He and his wife both said, I wish we would have tore up that ticket after his daughter and granddaughter overdosed on drugs, saying, my granddaughter is dead because of that money. Another woman from Missouri won $224 million with some co-workers. Uh, she commented on how it had destroyed her friendships, saying, these are people who you've loved deep down, and they're turning into vampires trying to suck the life out of me. So if love doesn't make our problems going, go away, and money seems to create more problems, what, what hope is there? Kind of a downer for an Easter message. What kind of, ho what, what kind of hope is there? There is hope. Uh, turn to John chapter 20, if you would. And I just want us, to, again, to see together that it's only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's only Jesus' pure, perfect, holy, righteous love for us uh, that gives us hope. And, and so the first point from John 20, we're going to read the first nine verses. It's on page 906. If you have the little Bible that's under the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, feel free to call that our Easter gift and put your name on the inside of it and then take it home. And if someone stops you at the door, just open up the first page, say, show them your name, and, and you're good to go. That is our gift to you. John chapter 20, I want us to see that Jesus' resurrection brings hope for all. And then we are going to look at some of his post-resurrection appearances and see the people that Jesus first went to after he was raised from the dead by the Father. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Jesus' resurrection brings hope for all. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but did not go in. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. 
For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the question is, why life, death, and resurrection? Does the resurrection matter? How, how does it matter for me? And so the resurrection is really the linchpin of the Christian faith, the linchpin uh, of our hope, the linchpin of, of the gospel. And so the gospel just means good news. And the good news, as we've laid out the last couple of weeks, is simply that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God that made all of this. And I have belittled him. You have belittled him. We fail to acknowledge to give him glory for the gifts that he's given to us. We believe our ways are better than his. Repeatedly, we question his authority. And a holy and a right and a just God is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. And so not being able to spare wrath, spare what is just, he sends Jesus in the flesh, right? And crushes him. Pouring out the wrath that was supposed to go towards us, pouring it out on the Son, and then three days later, raising him from the dead. And the same power that is at work raising Jesus from the dead is now at work in the lives of those of us who believe. That's the good news. You think about your sin. You think about your anger, your rage, your bitterness, the deviances that have followed you around for weeks, for months, for years, some of us for decades. We can't fix those things. We don't have the power to. Christ can. And that's more good news. And so that's why we don't, we don't celebrate ourselves. We clap for everyone up on here. They did a great job pointing us to Jesus, but we celebrate Jesus. The resurrection made hope possible by satisfying God's wrath and proves his power is available for us too. Let's take a look now at just a couple of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. If the resurrection proves that hope is available for all of us, I want you just to see clearly those that Jesus went to first in hopes that we might be reassured that he is knocking on our door as well. Let's read verses 11 through 16. I want you to see that Jesus' resurrection brings hope for the wounded. This is Mary Magdalene. John 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, just one word, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said one word, Mary. Mary had 
followed Jesus for years. She had listened to him teach. She had watched him do miracles. She had devoted herself to him, believing he was more than a good prophet, more than a good man, more than a good teacher, that he was truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the one the Jews were waiting for to take away the sins of the world. But everything changed when Jesus died. Her hopes, her dreams were crushed. This is the mother of all unexpected outcomes. Can you relate? Psalms 34:18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus says Mary and instantly she knows that it's him. You see that, that Jesus doesn't dismiss belittle ignore or avoid her hurt. You see that he doesn't avoid her woundedness but that instead Jesus goes to her. Jesus' resurrection gives hope to the wounded. Second, Jesus' resurrection gives hope to the confused, to the confused and to the scared. Uh, Let's look at verses 19 through 21 of the same chapter. It says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So they're in a room, in a locked room, probably with the shades drawn, blackout shades to make sure no one can see in. They're probably talking quietly, peering out the door, peering out the windows, looking for suspicious behavior. They're scared, fearing that the religious leaders that put Jesus to death may come after them also. They're confused because even though they'd heard Jesus say, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, they had heard Jesus say, you will weep, you will mourn, but then you will see me again and your joy will be complete. They had heard those things, but they haven't connected the dots. And so not only are they scared, but they're confused. Where do I go from here? Can anyone relate? Where do I go from here? What's next? Jesus speaks his presence and his purpose into their fear and into their confusion. How many of you know that when you know your purpose, it makes sense of unforeseen circumstances? It makes sense of things that don't make sense to you. You kind of see this in parenting a little bit. I've mentioned a parenting workshop we did a number of months ago, and the theme was essentially representational parenting, that a parent's job is to represent Jesus, point the sons and daughters to Jesus. More than trying to produce kids that get straight A's or great musicians or athletes or grooming them to try to make enough money to take care of us in our old age one day, that it's representational, representing Jesus. And so it makes sense of unusual circumstances. If you have young kids, if you have middle-aged kids, if you have adult kids, you have grandkids, you know that there's complicated scenario after complicated scenario. For our family, it's not super complicated. Our kids are young, seven, six, and four. And so our complications are potty accidents. But even those, if I get my purpose, 
are opportunities, right? Opportunities to lay a foundation for grace and for truth for my children. Even, even at the age of four, to begin to lay a foundation for grace and truth to point them to Jesus. And so when my youngest has an accident, and there's been a few this week, I'm not going to belittle him. I'm not going to make him stand up in front of his brother and sister and say, hey, why did you do this so that they see and they laugh and they make jokes? I'm not going to belittle him. Now, when he points the finger at me and says, it's your fault, you didn't help me, we're going to move from grace to truth. <laughs> and that happened this week. <laughs> but we're going to move from grace to truth because he needs to know that he's got to take responsibility for what he does. Because one day, he's got to take responsibility for his sin. And so when you know your purpose makes sense of even stinky things. One day we're going to have kids that drive and have cell phones and the sky's probably going to fall before then because I won't be able to deal with it. But whether it's a diaper or a fender bender, those are opportunities. And when they get into a fender bender, again, we're going to come with grace. We're not going to belittle them. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to make them feel small. We're not going to make them believe that they are what they do or that their value is diminished when they make a mistake. Because we're going to continue with this purpose of pointing them to Jesus and recognizing that Jesus has interacted with us in a way that is profoundly filled with grace and profoundly filled with truth. And so whether it's the diaper or the fender bender or things beyond We know our purpose, and our purpose is going to make sense of the senselessness. Jesus speaks his presence and purpose, saying, As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. You guys have a job to do. You guys have a job to live as ones sent out. You've seen how I've done it for the last two or three years. Now it's your job to go do this. So don't sit here and wallow. Don't sit here and be discouraged. You've got a job to do. Jesus brings hope to the confused. Jesus brings hope to the scared. Uh, Next is Jesus brings hope for those who doubt. Let's look at verses 24 and 20 through 28. This is Thomas. Some of you are familiar with his story, Doubting Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, this is verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and mark the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood with them, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered very simply, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I get it. My Lord and my God. I believe. Thomas had seen Jesus take that little mcdonald's happy meal and multiply it to feed thousands thomas had seen jesus raise lazarus from the dead 
Thomas had seen Jesus calm a storm, and still, what does he say? Yeah, right. Jesus is alive? Sure. Have you ever had someone doubt you? This happens in our home occasionally. I'm not wired to fix things well. I'm getting better, but... And so if I tell Nicole that I'm going to fix things, something, she's used to it taking longer than what I say it's going to take. She's used to me having to go to the store to buy more things to fix it and then to fix what I broke while I was trying to fix it. And she's used to me getting frustrated. A week ago, I, I replaced two light fixtures. Not, not, not super difficult, right? You turn the electrical panel off, and don't correct me if there's steps that are wrong. <laughs> electrical panel off, right? Turn all the switches off, make sure there's no power. Hope that, that there's really no power. Unscrew the fixture, pull the wires apart, put the new wires of the new fixture on, screw it back in, cross your fingers, turn the panel back on, and hope that there's light and not sparks. Presto, new lights. Girl room just got turned into a boy's room. I would be lying if I didn't say it was a very proud moment for me. <laughs> now, most of you aren't thinking, wow, Nathan has a gift. We should have Nathan over and he can fix what's broken in our house. And so there was a, a tone of surprise when Nicole walks in and says, oh, you did it. <laughs> But I deserve that. I, I, I know that I'm not handy. I've failed her before in this way. I deserved her doubt. And so Jesus didn't deserve Thomas's doubt. Jesus had proven faithful over and over and over and over. And he has in our lives too. And still, Thomas says, yeah, right. Yeah, right. How do you do when someone doubts you? And then you come through. If you're an athlete, if you're a receiver in football, you catch the ball and then you throw it right at the guy and you get right in his face. If you're a baseball player, you take the bat after you hit the home run and you toss the bat to let everyone know, that's right, look what I did. You gloat. You stick it back in their face. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't make an example of Thomas. Jesus doesn't distance himself from Thomas. He doesn't give him that passive-aggressive cold shoulder, that icy glare. He doesn't walk into the room and, yeah, I know you're there, Thomas, but I'm not going to look at you because you're a loser. Right? Jesus goes straight to Thomas and says, here they are. Here's the hands. Here's my side. That, that hurt. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my side. So if you're here today, and you have this doubting posture about yourself. Doubting about the reality of a God, the reality of a heaven, of a hell, of sin, of all these things. Would you consider the hands, the feet, the side of Jesus Christ? Thomas puts his hands, he feels, he sees. He says, my Lord and my God, I believe. Jesus brings hope to the confused and to the scared, and Jesus brings hope to those of us who doubt. The last one here, Jesus brings hope for those that are far from God. Verses 30 and 31 of the same chapter record uh, John's sort of summary statement about the purpose of this book. He says this, 
It says, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you're far from God this morning, you probably have some reasons that make a whole lot of sense to you. Some of us have had interest in spiritual things and maybe even wandered into a church and we did it once. Said, they're weirder than I thought. That was stranger than I expected. Never again. Maybe you worked once with a Christian and that person was the most dishonest person you ever met. One of the ways that that I like to think about it is is medicine. Um, Many of us at one point or another have had a bad experience getting medical care. I think about Nicole's mom who got cared for at UCLA Medical Center in Santa Monica, a fantastic place, a well-regarded hospital, and, and they gave her more or less a clean bill of health months before she passed. And so we don't, we don't go to all physicians and say, you guys don't know what you're doing. We don't even look at her physician and say, he didn't know or she didn't know what he was doing. We don't point the finger at hospitals and say, hey, hospitals, I knew they were bad. I, mean, I knew they were expensive, but now they're expensive and bad. We don't write off her hospital. If I needed care for something, I would be thrilled to go to UCLA Medical Center in Santa Monica. It's a fantastic place. Just because we had one bad experience doesn't mean we write off the whole lot. The problem is, is if I have symptoms, if I've got physical symptoms, and I don't go to the hospital I lose. Those that care for me, they lose. Some of you are here today, far from God, and there's a person that you can think of, and that person has made all things faith, church, Christian, Jesus, God, distasteful. And so I I would just say, don't let a person keep you from getting the help that you need. John says here, that these words are written, that you might believe Jesus is the Christ. Not that all Christians are perfect. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Finally this morning, uh, flip the page to John 21. John 21, 1 through 17, is another encounter of Jesus and his followers. And so... The story starts with Peter, and Peter kind of shows that he's a Douglas County native at heart because he gets the guys together and he says, let's go fishing. And so they go out, and they fish all night, and they catch nothing, thinking, how much worse can it get? In the morning, the sun comes up, and they see a man standing on the shore, and the man says, hey, have you caught anything? Now, those of you that have gone fishing and haven't caught everything, how much do you like to be asked at the end of the day, how'd it go? Can I see what you caught? How many? How long? And so if it was me and I was on the shore, did you catch anything? They said, no. I can't hear you. Did you catch anything? Finally, someone probably yells, no, we didn't catch anything. And so he says, well, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Again, if you've been fishing, you've probably tried the left, the front, the right, the back, 
everywhere, especially if you spent all night fishing and didn't catch anything. They do it anyway. They throw their nets in. They're filled with fish, so much so that they can't pull the nets in. And it's at this point that they look to shore and they realize that's not some man trying to make us look silly. That's Jesus. So Peter takes his jacket off, dives in the water, forget the boats, forgets his friends, forget the fish, dives in the water and swims to shore. They finally get into shore. Jesus is there with the fire and he makes breakfast. He grabs some of their fish and and he starts to make breakfast. And that's where our story picks up, uh, where I just want us to see as we close this portion of the text that Jesus' resurrection not only brings hope, but brings purpose. Not only brings hope to all of us, despite our backgrounds, but he breathes purpose into our lives. Let's read verses 15, 16, and 17 together. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now you got to remember, Peter made the biggest mistake that has ever been recorded in the history of mistakes. Jesus called Peter's shot. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, yeah, right. Do you know who I am? I will go to the death for you. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows three times. And Jesus says, Peter, you look in the mirror and you see frailty and you see failure. Jesus looks at us in our failure, in our frailty, and says, I see someone who's ready to stop saying, I can do this myself. I don't need you, Jesus. It's only in Jesus' economy where our frailty and our failures can be leveraged to build a foundation for faith and life change. It is only in Jesus' economy. A challenge that we face is We just don't want to believe we can't fix our situations. We just don't want to believe that we can't fix ourselves by ourselves. As I was thinking about this stubbornness that we have, ironically, I came back to my (laughs) four-year-old. He loves Legos, but he breaks them. And I don't get mad when he breaks them. I'm not shocked when he breaks them because he's four. If anything, I kick myself for paying for them. It doesn't make me mad. I'm not surprised. And if he brings it to me right away, I can fix it. The problem is, is that sometimes he tries to fix it himself. And so he crams the wrong pieces all over the wrong places. Sometimes he breaks pieces. Sometimes he loses pieces. When he tries to fix it himself and then brings it to me, 
the chances of me fixing it go way, way, way down. The chances that it will ever return to its intended form go way, way, way down. Sometimes he tries to fix it, and he makes a mess. Other times he won't tell me that it's broken. And I'll come in a week later. I'll come in a couple weeks later and say, I just fixed this. What happened? Oh. If he doesn't bring it to me, I can't fix it. If he doesn't bring it to me and he keeps playing with it for days and for weeks, decreases the likelihood that it will ever return to its intended form. It decreases the likelihood that I will be able to fix it. And so the challenge of Easter... The challenge of the resurrection is simply to bring our brokenness to the Lord, to not try to fix it ourselves, to not try to hide it and sweep it under the rug and just pretend that the shame and the guilt isn't there, thinking it will magically get better over time. It requires the intervention of the creator of the universe. He can fix it. We can't. The challenge this morning is simply to bring your mess, bring your sin, bring your failure. You couldn't possibly be worse than Peter, so don't worry about it. Jesus goes to the wounded. Jesus goes to the broken. Jesus goes to the confused. Jesus goes to those far from him. Jesus goes to Peter, his more or less best friend and biggest failure, and brings hope and purpose into their lives. Bring your mess, bring your sin to the Lord. He can make it right. That's something you can do on your own. You can do that while you sit in the chair this morning. You can do that while you're driving home, while you're sitting over lunch, while you're maybe reading this text at another time, by just simply to confessing to Jesus, say, I want to follow you. If you want to talk to someone about that, there's cards in your bulletin, connection cards. Put your name on it. Put a question. Put the thing you're wrestling with. Fold it up and put it in the little baskets that are going to come by in a few minutes. And if you want an email, if you want a phone call, you'll get those things. Another way is to work through some of these big questions in life with other people. Ricky mentioned Alpha at the beginning of our morning. Alpha, free food and free childcare. That's enough. But free food and free childcare with the opportunity to sit at tables and work through some of these questions. If you're someone who's wondering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you're someone who's doubting and has questions, that is a great place for those questions. In fact, we're going to show a video here in a sec uh, that just, again, shows a little bit about what, about what Alpha is like. Come to the next Alpha class. Write something on the card. Come find me afterwards. Take your sin to the cross.